0: Today on the show, we may be a side character, but we promise that we either raised or slept with or fought someone from House (laughs) Atreides, and that has got to be worth something.
1: Yeah, sometimes all three. I mean, listen, (laughs) (laughs) we get around.
0: (laughs) Or maybe I slept with them three times. Or three different Atreides?
1: Oh, oh, hat trick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's got to get me at least a footnote in the history books.
1: Yeah, or like a loyalty badge or something. Yeah. Like a paper hat like from Yeah, <laughs> Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> one of those like paper Incredible. crowns?
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about. I love yeah. that Yeah. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV, my name is Leo. And
0: my name is Abu.
1: Oh, And today on the show, we're doing something we've done before.
0: That's right. We're going to be focusing on the people that barely had a presence in the Dune stories. Is that a Buer Blair pun? Buerly? Wearly had <laughs> a presence. In the, <laughs> it should have been. In hindsight, I'll do some <laughs> editing magic or I'll leave this in. Both might be funny. <laughs> Either way, yes, we are focusing on some of the side characters, the supporting characters in the Dune universe who we learn very little about. And we've actually done this twice before. We had this discussion with danica 19 aka Mm -hmm. comic book girl 19 in an episode a long time ago now over two years ago and we did another episode just the two of us talking about more supporting characters that we love and pitching our hbo series of those characters (laughs) so go check those two episodes out if you're interested today we're going to be digging even deeper and shining a light on the lesser-known characters in the dune universe. And trust me, we we dug deep in the encyclopedia for these.
1: It's true. We really did. Also, shout out to New York supporting us by providing us a, a, an appropriate atmosphere on this recording day. Yeah, Very arrakis-like temperatures outside. So, little disclaimer for all you camera friends. Uh, if we're sweaty and gross, this one's for
0: Th- you. That's why. <laughs>
1: that's why. It's not because we're <laughs> super excited about Buera Garvez or... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, before we get too far into it, spoiler warning. Yes. We're going to have some spoilers through Children of Dune. So if you haven't finished Children of Dune, go listen to the book club. It's a great book, it's a lot of fun. Yep. So as long as you've read Children of Dune, you're good. You're safe for today's episode.
0: That's right. And of course, a huge shout out to our Queezeds Hadrack level patron, Kay Saken. Oh, uh. oh. Uh. Case
1: would be that side character who is mentioned in way too many of the articles of the Gamjabar Encyclopedia. Keeps coming up. He's like one of the main scholars, so he keeps getting referenced. (laughs) And the the people reading are like, do they fucking love Case? And the answer is yes. The answer is
0: yes. Yeah. (laughs) The answer is absolutely yes. Indeed. We're grateful for your support. And of course, that gratitude extends to all of our patrons and all of our listeners who help us make this show possible. We couldn't do it without. All of you.
1: It's true. Well, today's episode, let's talk about it. We have dug our dirty little thingies mm. into the Dune Encyclopedia. Not literally. I keep my hands very clean when I handle my physical copy <laughs> for a handful of minor characters, some of whom make small appearances and others we only hear of. Yeah. When their names dropped. That's right. Now we're going to share some interesting little details about their lives and paint a more nuanced picture of them than we get in the books. Mm -hmm. But before we go forward, we're going to take an insy-beensy break. (laughs) So don't go anywhere. (laughs) The heat made me hesitate. I was like, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Don't go anywhere, dear listener. We'll be right back right after this.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Let's talk about our first supporting character today. Let's do it. Where a Garvis, everyone. Oh, oh, is the first character we're going to talk about today. Our guy, Where, if you recall, played a small but important role in the saga of Alia Atreides' life during the events True. of Children of Dune. But frankly, we barely got to know the guy. So, yeah. let's dig into the encyclopedia and learn a bit more about him. Let's do it. Starting at the beginning, where Agarvis was born in Siege-Tabur in 10185 to Zagros and Nature, And he was actually the only son in a family of four daughters.
1: Does that make him nine years younger than Paul? Something like that? Well, Paul was 15 in 10191. 10, one seventy five. Okay, so that makes him 10 years younger than Paul Atreides. That does. I don't know why I never thought of that, but it's interesting to think about these characters in relationship to each other. Yeah. yeah 10 years younger than
0: Paul. Yeah. Cool. And I think it puts in context how young Paul is throughout the books. Like yeah, he's a teenager no in book 1. He's like <laughs> in his early 30s in book 2. And, you know, he he feels like an old decrepit man in book 3 by <laughs> Children of Dune, but honestly he's probably like fucking
1: 40. He's like Ben Kenobi. He's like 40, but <laughs> yeah. played by a 75-year-old actor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Truly.
0: I'm 30. Oh, oh did really? someone get this guy some Jesus. Water?
1: <laughs> Get him some skin lotion. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, a protein shake? Is... Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Baby Buer Agarvis had a pretty chill childhood, all things considered. He's actually pretty closely related to Stilgar. And the encyclopedia points out that growing up, his playmates included literally Stilgar and Hara's own children as well. Like they all, all played in the same sand lot together or whatever. Yeah. And by all accounts, he had a very normal and uneventful Fremen upbringing. He learned the ways of the desert and he honed his skills in the siege. And it was all just a very normal from in childhood for beware at least until some pivotal things took place on arrakis
1: what could you possibly be talking about (laughs) (laughs) i can't even begin to guess yeah fucking paul and jessica showed up Yep. (laughs) basically in a very like Forrest gump kind of way yeah where's life does kind of interweave with a lot of the events that we're familiar with way back earlier than you'd expect right like We meet him in Children of Dune as just a kind of whatever side character, but he was there the day Paul and Jessica arrived (laughs) at Siege to Amazing. He was literally in the, oh my God, look at that guy, he's 10 years older than me. (laughs) Right. Now, when Paul and Jessica first arrived, we get this quote, Agarvez notes in his diary that, although he was only six years old at the time, he remembered vividly the upheaval in the Siege when Stilgar and his group returned with two outworlders, Usul and his mother, Jessica. End quote. I like that Buer is using Paul's fremen name, Usul, that he's using the tribe name that is specific to Tavur in his diaries. Nice little continuity with uh, in world lore.
0: Right, that's how he would think of Paul, because that's how he was introduced to him.
1: Also, this is after Paul has killed Jameis. So he's meeting... Paul having been accepted by the band of Fremen that were out. Correct. So, yes, he's like, oh, that's Usul? He killed Jameis?
0: Fuck.
1: (laughs) Holy shit. Six years, he's nine years older than me. Right. Or whatever, that's crazy. Upheaval indeed. Upheaval indeed. And then actually, when he was 24, he was also at Siege to Burr. Okay. Emperor of the universe, (laughs) Paul Matrades, (laughs) returned with (laughs) Johnny to give birth to their twin children. Amazing. this really puts into perspective like you know andy sandberg from um palm springs you know, lonely island palm springs and yeah. the, and uh brooklyn 99 right he went to my high school and he's like he's he's a I, he might be about nine years older than me it does feel a little bit like that <laughs> where <laughs> you know you know someone you meet someone when you're a kid or you kind of know you're there in the same circle and then they end up like emperor of the universe and you're like well I'm like hanging out subscribe still. to my
0: podcast. <laughs> Some,
1: yeah, where as a podcast <laughs> and it's like the peak of his achievements. Yeah. Also Chani, the like amazing incredible person Chani. He like shows up, bags the hottest like sw- the greatest girl in totally. the seek. Totally.
0: Totally. Yeah, through the lens of this like high school image or creating of yeah. where and Paul going to the same high school. This is like <laughs> the head cheerleader. And the douchebag jock coming back 20 years later and you realize like, oh, actually, he's like the head of the U.N. council for something, <laughs> you know, you're like, God damn it.
1: Ambassador to the U.N., yeah. And you're like, wow, <laughs> shit, you really went far, didn't you? Yeah, you and, you wow, <laughs> and you got the
0: girl. Wow. And you got the girl. Blair's feeling out. really bad about himself.
1: <laughs> works out for other people, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> And actually, at this time, when he's like 24, he's described as having a round face and sensual good looks. Oh, Ooh. OK. Plus, uh, quote, characteristic nervousness of manner oh. and an unshakable faith in the, the divinity of the Atreides. Mm. End quote.
0: So he, he is a believer, at least.
1: Yeah, he's like, the jock is the coolest person in the universe, <laughs> and I'm so nervous all the time. Yeah. Even yeah, yeah, though yeah. I have sensual good looks, nervous all the time. Right, gotcha. right.
0: Now, after the events of Dune Messiah, Stilgar brings where remember they're related, so they're sort of family, extended family. Stilgar brings Bwer to Arakeen and actually gets him a job in the temple commissary.
1: Ugh, typical nepotism. Straight up, (laughs) this sounds like straight
0: up nepotism. Yeah. And this actually kicks off a period of Buer's life that is very easy and luxurious and laid back. Yeah. Yeah. Where he, quote, succumbed to the softness of life in the city, end quote.
1: Mm. And the
0: encyclopedia even notes that it's in this era of his life that he grows water fat and lazy. He basically just. Go soft, right? Yeah, yeah, he's no longer a fremen of the desert. He comes to the big city. He gets these easy nepo baby jobs because of his, <laughs> you know, cousin's um, uncle or whatever, and yeah, yeah, yeah. he he kind of lives it up in Arakeen. And we're told that after bouncing around a couple of sort of low key, unimportant positions in a bunch of different ministries within the government, he catches the attention of. The commander of the temple guards, Zaya, who we also met in Children of yeah, Dune. Yeah, true. And Zaya brings where into Alia's service officially. So that's finally where that alia where connection happens. Yeah. And that's how where ends up working with and then eventually being Alia's lover and tool and all, all of the events that we know basically from here forward, we know about his life because it's what takes place in Children of Dune. He becomes Alia's right, lover. right. She uses him to capture Stilgar, and he is ultimately killed by Stilgar. He is killed by family, which is just a tough look for our guy all around.
1: Yeah, it's a it's that's a brutal way to end your story. I also, you know, I, I remember reading Children of Dune and really hating Buer, being like, yeah, oh, what a piece of shit, Buare. He's everything that we're kind of taught to despise in the young Fremen. But I also just on a sympathetic note. Thinking about the timeline of his life, he was six when Paul and Jessica showed up. The Lisan Al-Gaib showed up. Right. And barely two or three years later, Paul dethrones the Carinos and starts this galaxy-wide jihad against, against the kind of old government. I do wonder how much that upset the generation that Ware is a part of. Like, how much did they get the typical Fremen upbringing because recall that most Fremen, like riding the sandworm, is something that happens at 12. That's still four years out for Buer at the moment that the entire galaxy is kind of under the Fremen's attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, and when so there's I a do... seismic shift in, yeah. in not just political, but also the cultural landscape of the whole galaxy.
1: And we know how much stuff changed for the Fremen. So part of me also wonders, like, did he grow... Soft and lazy, and all of these things that we generally are told to dislike about people. Did he grow those ways because of what Paul did? And then is he really kind of a victim of the upset that Paul caused? Yeah. And then can we look more kind of compassionately upon him as a character? Yeah and less the way i did when i read the book where right, i was like oh right. this fucking guy this get, fucking get the fuck Blair. out of. he died off yeah, stage hell yeah him. glad he got killed yeah <laughs> by a cool guy nice by his uncle stilgar nice love right. that sweet
0: i think that's a really great observation and a really empathetic way to look at it is that where might have just been a casualty of his generation of the right. seismic changes that he basically played no part in until that little blip of a part he had in children of dune, you know, like it really does make me think of millennials and the great recession, you know, like that like sort of seismic event had nothing to do with like one individual millennial making a choice in their life. Right. But it certainly affected all of us and uh, to varying degrees. And it has changed an entire generation's trajectory. And not just that one event, you know, numerous events throughout the last few decades have affected, in particular, the millennial generation. I I agree. I I look at where now, knowing this extra context from the encyclopedia, and I do wonder how much of his life was actually in his control and how much was just seismic shifts and a guy just trying to do his best in the world that Paul Atreides created.
1: Yeah. I definitely, having learned this stuff, having looked over it, I'm excited to reread Children of Dune and see yeah. if I hate him as much <laughs> right. as I did before.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he's presented relatively one note in Children of Dune because his role yep. is so minor. And I think this extra detail from the encyclopedia flushes him out in a way where we can even wonder these things about his life.
1: It's true. Well, our next character... Lady oh Margot yes.
0: Fenring.
1: She enters the octagon swinging. Indeed uh, considered one of the Benny Jesuit's most accomplished seductresses.
0: Oh, you don't say? Margot
1: Fenring. And she's awesome. She's so cool. Genuinely her story, I'm like this would be such a baller series.
0: Yeah.
1: But Let's talk about Margot Fenring. And just like where, let's talk about her early years. Mm-hmm. She was born in 10,153 A.G. on Wallach 9 to Benny Gesserit of Secret Rank, Shirlon Wichter, and Baron Redmond Bagratoni. Nice. Two cool names, Wiktor and Bagratoni.
0: Bagratoni.
1: Bagratoni. Yeah, Bagratoni <laughs> pasta. Wicked. Thir- <laughs> yeah. All <yeah.
0: laughs> wheat. Bagratoni and wick pasta. Wicked. Yeah, vodka. <laughs> wick <wodka.
1: laughs>
0: All part of a balanced breakfast.
1: <laughs> All right. If we've offended you just now, we are sorry. Now, we're not told a lot about Margot's childhood. Again, the Bangeserin are not, <laughs> not famous for telling you everything about mm-hmm. what they're up to. Mm-hmm. But we do know that she was tutored by Gaius Helen Moheim herself.
0: Gaius Helen Moheim! Gaius
1: Helen! Oh, Gaius oh. Helen! See, we have to balance it out with a- other accents. Gaius
0: Helen! Damn, Gaius, damn it. Gaius Helen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and thus she was given some special attention. Because right. Gaius Helen is not just any teacher she's a she's a profoundly skilled and trusted Benny desertsuit. that's right now, based on their interaction in the first book, it is also likely that both Jessica and Margot knew each other at some yeah. point, passing in the night or maybe sharing some classes because of their shared tutorship under Gaius Helen
0: right right. and you could even go so far as to speculate that they were maybe even friends because the messages they leave for each other on Arrakis seem to go beyond just like, like a duty. like a thing yeah. you'd like duty or just like yeah. a thing you'd do for a colleague, right? It's right. Margot like truly warning Jessica of what's to come on Arrakis and the assassination attempts and all of that and the danger that's present. That to me speaks to more than just we were pupils under the same tutor. I imagine right. there may have been at least a cordial Friendship for a little bit. And perhaps they overlapped in their tutoring under Moheim.
1: Yeah, it's definitely possible. And again, this would be the sort of thing where it'd be cool to see a show about her life and not really like dropping names too much, but then, oh, you'll be taking a class with this young woman. And she's like, okay, it's nice to meet you. And then three, you know, episodes later, she's like, by the way, what's your name? My name is Jessica. And it's like,
0: oh my God, it's Jessica.
1: You know, like that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: the... I'm learning. You love an Easter egg. I do love Easter eggs. Yeah. I like when
1: it's subtle. I like when people uh, uh, put in those little tips of the hats. Yeah, to those. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Other. Yeah, adventures. I was gonna
0: say Star Wars has a lot of Easter eggs, but they're not subtle. <laughs> they throw the yeah. egg in your face, and then they then they yell <laughs> Easter egg, Easter egg. It's
1: Easter egg time. Play the Easter egg theme. Bring it Vader,
0: bring it Vader, bring in Vader. Bring it down. Vader.
1: Show <laughs> Vader. Oh, I'm just looking at this photo of Vader I keep. Have you heard of Darth Vader? <laughs> Master Easter of egg number two! <laughs> it's Easter egg number two. Play the theme again.
0: <laughs> Easter
1: egg time!
0: <sighs> yeah. it's true thank you for uh really leading into that bit with me i appreciated that
1: listen you're the star wars fan but i i I enjoy a good george lucas dig every now and then he's a master of subtlety truly truly but yeah so maybe they were friends and that's that's super cool to think about and we also know that margot took a two-year sabbatical from schooling at the problematically young age of 14 Ooh to attend the School of Erotic Arts on Gamont. Wow. Hedonistic sex planet Gamont. Yep. Home of, like, concubine and sex worker training. Apparently, there's a School of Erotic Arts. Sounds awesome. What animal do you think is their
0: mascot? (laughs) Oh, boy. That is such a good question. Yeah. (laughs) answer
1: carefully uh
0: yes i mean i'm trying to think like one that actually makes sense like what what is a rabbits what is an animal yeah like what is an animal that actually gives birth to so many
1: offspring i don't know that Gamont is teaching you how to have give birth to a lot i think they're teaching you how to fuck a lot oh yeah and rabbits are pretty notorious for their libidos okay okay i don't know if it's their libido maybe it is just their litter sizes
0: I don't know. I don't know. Right in. Right in.
1: Right in. (laughs) School of
0: Erotic Arts on Gamont. What's their mascot?
1: So, yeah, Margot studied there for two years, took a sabbatical, studied there for two years. Again, at the age of 14. Seems pretty Mm, fucking young. mm -hmm. Uh, But whatever. It's Dune. Weird shit happens. And through a mix of natural talent and hard work, she excelled in her studies and graduated her schooling with the rank of Mistress Six. Whatever <laughs> Mistress that rank means. Rank Six? Right. Yeah, whatever that means. Final Fantasy Seven? Yeah, Final Fantasy Mistress Six. <laughs> and this was apparently unheard of in such a short amount of time. Pretty incredible stuff.
0: Right, right. Now, fast-forwarding after her graduation, she, in 10,173... She's wedded to Count Hasimir Fenring in an arranged marriage. This was all very planned out. And the original purpose of this union was to help awaken the Kwisatz Haderach. But as we all know, the sisterhood quickly found out that the count was actually a genetic eunuch, would not fit into their plans for the Kwisatz Haderach, and was thus a failed candidate. So Lady Margot's job then sort of pivoted. and. She now focused on securing the genetic material of other important and powerful people that are in Shaddam's sort of political orbit, right? She has access to the emperor. She is married to the emperor's most trusted confidant. And so she has access to very powerful and important people across the whole empire. And obviously, in the books, we see her literally do this when she seduces Fade Ratha.
1: Now, ultimately, Count Fendering had to be on board with this because right. there isn't really much. He he is a very, very talented person. Like, I don't think there's a universe in which Margot could have continued her actions in secret. Uh, also, you can't really hide pregnancies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, so he had to be on board. And Margot went about convincing her husband of basically the Benny Gesserit goals and the kind of why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Sources are a little fuzzy on whether or not he was cool with it. Or if Margot may have used some Bene Gesserit techniques to control him. Right. There's a few possibilities. One possibility is that during their time as royal envies on Arrakis, when they had a lot of time to kill, we know that she trained him in Bene Gesserit techniques. Right. And it's possible that during this training, giving him techniques, showing him the power of these ways that they can kind of move the universe, move the needle in the universe, she subtly bewitched him with the sisterhood's mission, you know, convinced him the sisterhood is to be trusted and needs, needs his help. And he was like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm on board.
0: Right, I'm in. Let's do this. I mean, think Jessica and Ferradin, right? Right. Jessica very subtly and slowly converted Ferradin until he became a believer in the Bene Gesserit and was effectively one of the Bene Gesserit himself by the end of the book. That sort of slow tutoring, slash a little bit of mind washing at the same time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The other possibility is records of Lady Margot's secret communications apparently also reveal that she had potentially poisoned him (laughs) on their wedding night. Oh, no. As a way to control him as well.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So that's a possibility.
0: That's a bit more direct than subtly yeah. influencing his mindset yeah
1: uh, <laughs> it's it's a little heavy-handed um it is in line with what we know benny Jesuit do and we'll actually talk about another poisoning that the benny Jesuit are guilty of yeah. in this episode right so it's definitely possible i also think she may have just even bluffed him like i poisoned you and he's like oh shit that yeah. seems reasonable and then you know done you don't actually yeah. have to
0: poison him or or the other way she poisoned him as like an absolute yeah hit the true. red button emergency thing but she right. never actually had to use it because he was on board once she trained yeah. him you know <laughs> so maybe she just like implanted a backup plan for herself
1: yeah which segues to our the what we brought up originally and is now the third possibility That he's just like super cool with an open marriage. He's
0: like, you did not have to poison me, babe. I'm super into this. (laughs) She's like,
1: I will push this button and kill you unless you let me sleep with other men. He's like, fucking do it. Hell yeah. That's hot. What? As long as you tell me about it later, I'm super into it. If I push the
0: button, will you sleep with my other (laughs) men?
1: So I push the button and then you sleep with other men? No, no, no. Forget the fucking button. the The button will kill you. So I have to die for you to sleep. I'll still do it. It's worth it. She's like, no, you don't have to die. I just Forget saying the button if you never don't, existed. so I, do I push the button twice if I want you to sleep with twice right. as many men or like, how does, <laughs> yeah, it's possible he's just super into it. He's like, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's your job. Let's do it. Let's get right. it done.
0: And either way, regardless of <laughs> what theory is the true <laughs> and how many times he pushed the button, Margot <laughs> did go about her duties to the sisterhood with the full support of her husband. and. We're told that during their time on Arrakis, before the Atreides arrive, she had three daughters. Now, once the Atreides arrive, obviously their lives are shaken up a little bit too. The Count returns to Shaddam's court on Chitin, and Lady Margot actually takes a little diversion and goes to Wallach Nine for a little bit in order to prepare for the upcoming seduction of Fade Ratha. And remember, this is years ahead of when it happens. This is about two to three years ahead of when it happens. So right, by the yeah. time we see it take place in the book, it's a pretty big deal. And it's clearly been in the works for the Benny Gesserit for many, many years. And Lady Margot has sort of been their go-to to handle that.
1: I can't even imagine what those two years would contain. But it's good that she does her prep work. Again, this... If nothing else speaks to the fact that the Bene Gesserit do not take risks with things that have to do with their breeding plan and with the Kwisatz Haderach program. They have one of the fastest to achieve, one of the highest ranks, one of the most successful seducers in the universe. She's a dime. She's smart. She's capable. She's got every tool. She's got
0: access to literally... The Emperor's Court. the Emperor
1: of the Galaxy. Right. And they're like, we're going to give you two years. Yeah. And we're going to make sure we do the prep work because this cannot fail. And sure enough, it doesn't fail. So whatever she did for those two years, it worked.
0: Definitely. Look, the Benny Jesuit are nothing if not thorough. They're always crossing their T's and dotting their I's. And you brought it up earlier, but it's worth mentioning again. Lady Margo is very thorough with fate as well. Not only is she successful in her seduction of him, but she implants that hypnotic command word that will render his muscles immobile. And that, again, is just a backup plan, maybe much like the poison and the big red button with her husband. It's just a last ditch backup plan. Should Fade ever directly threaten a sister or should he ever be in a situation that threatens their plans with? the Cuisatz Haderach. The Benny Gesserit clearly operate on a principle of, here's plan A, and here's plan B, and then here is like, oh, oh no, everything's going to shit. Back up plan C.
1: Now, the final kind of chapter in her life comes with the final chapter in basically the Emperor's party, as their experiences wind down. After Shaddam, is defeated by Paul, and he takes his uncreased Jordans and the throne. That hurts. It hurts. Margot Fenring and Count Hazimir Fenring joined the emperor, Emperor Shaddam, in exile on Seleucus Secundus, and she stayed by her husband's side until his death. Mm -hmm. She didn't do much during this time, and the encyclopedia speculates that her inactivity was probably, quote, the result of confusion among the Bene Gesserit leadership, and an unnamed malady that rendered her barren, end quote.
0: Yeah. It was a slow period after a very busy life, for sure.
1: Yeah. Although then, after Count Fenring did pass away, after he died of old age, uh, she returned to Wallach Nine to spend the rest of her life teaching and serving the Bene Gesserit. So wow. Continuing to give to the sisterhood, yeah, she believes in the path. She believes in their goals, even after Paul happened.
0: Yeah, once with the sisterhood, always with the sisterhood.
1: It really seems that way, with only a couple of exceptions.
0: Right, right. Wow, what a prolific life, Lady yeah. Margo.
1: I it, very, very cool, very cool life.
0: And we're going to talk about another Benny Jesuit who also rises to the halls of power. And it's kind of fun to compare and contrast their lives. We're going to talk about her later in the episode. (laughs) Very true, yeah. (laughs) But before we get into our next supporting characters, let's take a quick breather. Let's get some water. Again, it's really hot here in New York. We're both melting in our seats. True. But don't go anywhere, dear listener. We will be right back because there are more interesting supporting characters to talk about. We'll see you in a minute.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Hope you went to Gamont and got your BA in the erotic arts. Yes, uh, that's right. <laughs> well, let's talk about wait, is that at the door the greatest woman oh, in the universe? What? I think it is. We've got hurrah.
0: Hurrah for hurrah. Uh,
1: hurrah for hurrah. Lover. <laughs> 12 out of 10, wonderful person, love her. Let's talk about Hurrah! We both deeply respect her. She's awesome. She has a really fucking cool life. And like it or not, she got stuck right up next to history-defining characters. Truly. Just upsetting the flow of the world multiple times.
0: Truly. She was intrinsically tied with the Atreides as we'll see shortly. But first, let's rewind the clock and go all the way back to her birth because Hara was born in 10,157 to Yajna and Dako. And as far as her family is concerned, she actually is one of a twin. She had a twin sister. And then later in life, she had another younger sister named Alani. And Alani is notable because Hara really doted on her. They had a very strong sibling relationship. And in particular, hurrah came to sort of spoil Elani as the older sister and caretaker.
1: Learning that she was one of a twin also gives me some a little bit of insight into like, yeah, maybe she was uniquely set up to yeah. be the maternal figure for Leto and Ganema.
0: Yeah. That's true. She's like, I know what twins are like. Right. I was one of them. I know I, them. I know how to how to handle twins. Yeah. You just dress them up in the same clothes all the time. (laughs) It's easy.
1: Yeah. And then they both like the color green. That's a reference to the
0: Rugrats. Phil and Lil. Damn, that really went right over my head. I even watched the Rugrats growing up, but yeah, that came from a deep place inside you. Did you know the Rugrats affected you that deeply?
1: Yeah. Every morning, (laughs) I wake up and I go, I'm going to be Tommy today, not Chucky. Tommy, not Chucky. Tommy, not
0: Chucky. Chucky." (laughs) Right. Right. It's that idea of everyone has two wolves inside them, and whichever wolf you feed, you have Tommy what, and Chucky,
1: and whichever is whichever is rug rat you feed. <laughs> One of them's like, we're going to go on an adventure. The other one's like, I miss my mom.
0: Yep, yep. <laughs> we're all Tommy and Chucky some days. We are. That's true. So, Harrah's maternal impulse obviously came to light very early in her relationship with her sisters. And... Even in her memoirs, she talks about the joy of growing and nurturing plants in the desert. Mm. She writes, quote, Surely there can be no more fulfilling joy than fostering and sustaining life, end quote. And that Beautiful. gives us a very clear view into the type of person Hara is. It's like
1: a deeply wonderful thing.
0: (laughs) I know. Wow. It's honestly like, it makes me a little emotional to be like, wow, we don't deserve hurrah in this life in our lives. Oh my God. Yeah. But wait, because there's more folks. If you didn't already love her, just wait until you find out that she was also a total babe. What? Here's how the Dune Encyclopedia describes her as a young woman. Quote, a tall woman of sensual slimness in her full maturity. Hurrah was remarkable with her raven hair, olive skin, and striking angular features. A stunning woman eagerly sought after by the men of her siege until won by Jeff. End quote. <laughs> Jeff. Man, Jeff
1: <laughs> catches me off guard every goddamn time. Every time,
0: because it's spelled the same way as our freelance editor, Jeff, who cuts our episodes.
1: Yeah. And also, it's a Fremen named Jeff. It's a Jeff. Fremen
0: named Jeff! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god. But, okay, yes. So, besides the whole Jeff twist, right. uh, she had a relatively quiet and uneventful life with Jeff. Go figure. Until, yeah, I mean, Jeff is not the kind of guy to go out and conquer universes. <laughs> He's like, I'm a tax accountant. My name is Jeff. <laughs> but he was challenged by Jameis. Much more fun name. Hell more yeah. Much fun guy. Who killed him in combat. Mm. And as tradition goes, Hurrah then becomes the wife of Jameis. Right. Now, Hurrah busied herself with raising her two sons. She worked in the planting areas and managing her home with Jameis during this period of her life. And apparently, she was just excellent at all of these things because a note from a friend remarks that Hurrah and James's home was the envy Of the entire siege.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Everyone's
1: like, bruh, they've got it figured out. Hashtag goals. Oh my gosh, I should kill my boring neighbor (laughs) and maybe I could be in a similar thing. And by all accounts, Jameis was like an awesome husband. The encyclopedia says that, quote, Hurrah's years with Jameis were good years, full of achievement and family happiness, end quote. Wow.
0: Very wholesome. Till some white boy named Paul, some offworlder named Paul, shows up and dramatically changes the trajectory of Harrah's life forever. As we know from the books, Harrah's life then becomes intricately tied with many generations of Atreides, starting with Paul and ending with the twins in Children of Dune. And throughout these years, the encyclopedia makes it clear that she was a steadfast companion to her husband, Stilgar, who she went on to marry later in life. And she was just a rock for the twins during their younger years as she raised them as her own children. And even throughout the tumultuous events of Children of Dune, when everybody thought Leto died, she was there for Ganema, comforting Ganema, when everyone thought her brother had been killed by the laza tiger attack so she continued to serve and love and support the people around her in the way she had always done starting all the way back with her sisters when they were just kids
1: man i also knowing that she was a twin herself can you imagine how much sympathy she had Uh, yeah for ganima right like I even forgot that element of her whole life story. But yeah, like there's that whole period where she's like the twins that I raised. One of them got murdered. By right. Tigers. <laughs> Tragic. <laughs> like, that's insane. And just imagine like how much that affected her. Yeah, really. definitely. Now, although Harrah was technically healthy until the very end of her life, she did fade quickly after Paul and Alia's deaths and Alia in particular hit her hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she ended up dying in her sleep. And the encyclopedia puts it beautifully, telling us about what happened. Quote When she died in her sleep at Siege Tabur, the one place in the universe she would have undoubtedly chosen for her end, the entire siege, joined by the royal family at Arakin, mourned her and accorded her a full ritual funeral, as was fitting.
0: End quote. As was fitting indeed. Indeed.
1: Ugh. Give her three. Give her three full ritual three. funerals. Still she deserves it.
0: RIP to a real one. We didn't deserve her. She was too good for this world. And she will be missed. Very much so. Alrighty. Let's talk about our final character today. And folks, we saved possibly the best for last because this one is a doozy. It's a roller coaster. It's unexpected. It's someone we barely know about. But there is so much to talk about here, and it is all so, so good.
1: By a margin, the strongest HBO pitch of this episode. Indeed.
0: By a margin. So, our final character today is Anural Carino, who is someone we never actually meet in the books, but who clearly plays a significant role in House Carino history. And we have to caveat this before we get into it, because Anural is a character that Brian and Kevin have written about in their prequel and sequel novels. We even mm-hmm. talked about it in the House of Trades coverage we did of the comic book. But as always, we will be disregarding those books in our discussion today and going purely off of what the Dune Encyclopedia and the original text by Frank say.
1: So, Anarol Carino was born in 10,132 AG to Count Maurus Paluna, and Zyvie Elston. <laughs> Elston. Now, those are some names. Those are some Somebody names. Somebody tell
0: Jeff's parents.
1: <laughs> Jeff's parents are like, we were between Jeff and David. Oh. <laughs> we couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> we have this OC Bible. We're just pulling names from that. Yeah. Although, as much as we know those names, yeah. she never did. And naturally, this is partially because she. Is a Benny Jesuit, <laughs> indeed, because that's what they do. And at birth, she was placed in the Bene Gesserit Kinder House on Chusik. It's very cool. Uh, it's kind of a Benny Gesserit daycare where the babies begin their training at just months old. It's like incredible. All right, you can hold up your head. You can start to learn how to take over the. Yeah, universe. how about All you right? do
0: these finger exercises, you dumb little baby, huh? Yeah, front of
1: Bendu guy. In front of going. <laughs> you can lift your skull. All right. Was hoping you'd do that last week, but <laughs> accepted. Also, isn't Chusek the planet that like...
0: Gurney Halleck is Gerne from. Halleck is from.
1: It's yep. the musician planet. It's
0: the musician which planet, cool. which will come into play.
1: That's cool. Uh, so yeah, she's in this Benny Gesserit kinder house this is also where the word kindergarten comes from. Same etymology. And early years of her life seem tough. And our frustrations about living in the kinder house are clear in the journal she started keeping from age five now here's what we're told about these journals quote she was unhappy living in a dormitory with five other girls supervised by an ever-changing staff of sisters her entries indicate a growing inability to make close personal attachments to others end quote Mm. and fucking yeah yeah it's like you got this big group of kids and and then the the adults in your life are always changing. So you're not really getting that consistent, like parent feeling. You're not, you're not able to have that surrogate parent feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, that's hard. Then it's understandable that that was frustrating for her. Now, later in life, Anna Rule actually became interested in music, makes sense on Chusik, and learned to play the loose accord. Mm. But her teachers at the Benny Gesserit school didn't think that this was a useful or appropriate skill for a sister to waste time on.
0: Oh, Boo. No. bullshit.
1: Boo, Bene Gesserit. That's the worst thing they've ever done. Ever. Bar none. <laughs> <It> discouraged <laughs> this one person from using. Quote, all the sisters, tell me how... <laughs> I was not ready for where this sentence goes immediately. <laughs> <laughs> all the sisters... Tell me how ugly I look when I play my darling Binbeck, and that I will end up a wandering minstrel <laughs> instead of a proper lord's lady. Okay. Well, I don't want to be a lord's anything.
0: Hell yeah!
1: I want to be a musician all my life.
0: Hell yeah!
1: End quote. Fuck yeah. Amazing. Anna awesome. Awesome. Hell yeah. Binbeck, by the way, is the name that she gave her Lucicord oh, which cute. is Fucking awesome as well. Yeah, hell yeah. That's a real connection. That's a real connection. It is. I played trombone for ten years. It's sitting right over there. What's I never its gave name? It a name? No, I never gave it a name.
0: Give it a name right now,
1: Jeff. jeff <laughs> <laughs> It's the best, most creative name I could think of. <laughs> My trombone's name is Pot of Green.
0: <laughs> Incredible.
1: Uh. Yeah. What a cool fucking kid. Are you kidding? Me? Yeah. To be she, like, she
0: sounds like such a cool kid. Definitely a bit of a rebel.
1: Uh, love it.
0: Unfortunately, as cool as she was, the life of a musician is not what she was destined for. And much like Lady Margot, at the young, at the too young age of 14, Aneril was sent to the chapter house on Gamont to be trained as a breeder. Very similar life paths here for the two. Luckily for Aneril, she spent just a very short and very unhappy period on Gamont, before quickly, once again, being transferred, this time to Kitan. And we get a journal entry from this period in her life. And the thing that really sticks out to me is just how young she sounds here. Like yeah. her tone in this entry makes my heart go out to her. Because at age 14, nobody should be fucking going to Gamont for any reason. This is what she wrote. Quote, the sisters are transferring me to Kitan next month. Molly says she's never heard of a novice being sent to three different schools and she thinks I'm either a special student or a dumb one. <laughs> I think the dumb label is the right one. End oh. quote.
1: Oh, oh
0: come d- on. I want to give anne a hug. Oh, that's brutal. That,
1: that's that does tough. sound like she's listening to an Evanescence album and she's like, yeah, dumb sounds better than anything <laughs> yeah. else.
0: I'm not special. I must be dumb. Why do they keep transferring oh. me?
1: Listen, to all y'all out there, if you're younger, if you're a younger listener, it gets yeah. better. It gets better. It does. And the world is so much better with you in it. You're special. You are special. We're you all are. special.
0: And you, you learn to love yourself. You That's learn true. to love the people in your circle. It gets better. And I'm in my 30s now. It's fucking awesome.
1: Yep. It's like every decade has been wonderful. When you hear people like waxing poetic about missing their younger days, there are things you will miss. certainly. But it's okay because you will discover new ways of being compassionate for yourself, new ways to enjoy and engage with the world. It's so worth it. It's wonderful. You're good. Yeah. You're all right. You're all right. It'll be all right. Uncle Leo. <laughs> uh,
0: Uncle Leo, damn. Yeah. Woo, go off.
1: Get, a, get on my super positive soapbox. <laughs> Every yeah. dark moment will end. And Indeed. there are better moments ahead. You've got
0: this. You've Got this. And Anriel has got this as well because things really turn around for her. When she gets to Kaitan, she begins to thrive in her training and in her schooling. And there are multiple records of her being listed as an honor student for multiple years running. And when she graduates in 10,151, she graduates with highest honors in both literature and history.
1: Hmm. yeah! there you go. Oh, my God. Yeah, killing it.
0: She bounced around a couple of different schools, didn't do well in them, transferring here, transferring there, and then she did it. Graduated with honors.
1: Now, after a short uh, year spent as an assistant in the Khitan Chapter House, she was sent to House Carino as a concubine to Shaddam in 10,154. So at about the age of 22. Yep. Now, her journal entries from this time reveal a like shockingly wholesome, pleasant, and platonic relationship with uh, Shaddam. Yeah. Between her and Shaddam. Quote, Shaddam was interested in her music and poetry, and Anarul was intrigued by his gem collection okay. and his knowledge of historical architecture and costume. Mm, all right. <laughs> End quote. Bro- pulled out the gem collection collection
0: now (laughs) i'm so
1: curious also how often does that work you're like you want to see my collection of dune collectible cards and they're like
0: i'm not trying to sleep with you i'm i just this is platonic (laughs) i do you want to see my gems
1: i want to see your gems bro like yeah (laughs) that's wholesome as shit That that's great i love it yeah now there is a sort of gross dark Element to this period because right. it's during this time that Elrude the ninth, who was just a bag of shit, just an awful dude, began employing Anna in her concubine duties for himself. So, sort of, my son's not going to sleep with her. Yes, I will.
0: You know? Yeah. Ew.
1: Super gross. And again, what we know about Elrude from Brian's books and from the Little that we learn in the Dune Encyclopedia and Frank's books, not a great guy. So, this tracks absolutely and to protect her, Shaddam took her as his wife to protect her from that creepy move by his disgusting father.
0: Yeah, good on Shaddam,
1: really good. It's a really good look, yeah, for Shaddam IV. (laughs) I mean, this is also potentially a few years before he started poisoning and killing his father, so you know, a double flex double flex you know <laughs> but hell yeah dude you're yeah. you're enjoying your conversations with her it's platonic but you're like you know what i'm gonna marry you so that you don't get pulled by that geezer all the time
0: yeah great yeah it's a good look for him for sure yeah now this starts her period as i guess empress of the universe the wife of <laughs> the <laughs> emperor yep. of the universe yep. and this is truly interesting because these years of her life are full of intrigue. The main issue is that she really gets on the sisterhood's nerves by ignoring their orders to give birth to four daughters. They're like, great, you have married the emperor. We have someone at the highest seat of power. Don't give him any sons. Give him four daughters. That is your job. That is your directive. And she's just like, ghosts them. No response. (laughs) And she spends the first nine years of her marriage not doing what the sisterhood told her. She doesn't give birth to any children, and instead is just like chilling with her music and poetry for nearly a decade. And there are multiple reasons for why she didn't have children with Shaddam. One is that their relationship honestly continued to just mostly be platonic even after the marriage. The impetus for the marriage seemingly was to take Elrud out of the picture, but he wasn't necessarily in love with Aneril in that way, in the way where he'd want her as a wife and partner. Right. The other reason is that she quickly also learned that Shaddam was actually sterile, (laughs) so they couldn't have children, even if they did have sex. Yeah. And eventually, the Bene Gesserit are like, okay, you need to not make the emperor sterile, so here are fertility drugs. Put them in his fucking coffee! (laughs) Yeah. And she does do that. She eventually starts feeding him fertility drugs in an attempt to, you know, have children with Shaddam at some point. Right. Ultimately, that decision is kind of thrust upon her, when to have children, because it's revealed that Shaddam, now that he's been taking these fertility drugs, actually went out and gave birth to two illegitimate sons. There are two bastards out there that could vie for the throne of the known universe if they yeah. wanted to, and that is obviously risky and throws right. a monkey wrench in Benny Gesserit plans. So Gaius Helen Moheim herself, folks, <laughs> shows up at Anriel's doorstep to deliver this news and to pressure her into giving the emperor legitimate children as she has been ordered to do.
1: I was going to say, is this before Moheim's assignment as the Imperial Truthsayer? Because also, maybe showing up at her doorstep is just like two doors down. It like. could
0: be two doors down. <laughs> it, that's unclear. Yeah. she lo- Maybe she just like lives like idea two idea doors too. down in the palace. <laughs> like
1: she hears a knock at her door. She opens it. The audience goes, Gaius Helen Moheim herself. And Annerill's like, What is it, Moheim? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> right.
1: I was reading. And right. Mohime's They're just neighbors. Like, I walked 14 feet to talk to you, okay? You're going to hear me out.
0: Regardless of whether it was 14 feet or 14 light years, (laughs) Gaius Helen (laughs) Moheim still shows up at her doorstep with bad news. True. And Aneril actually writes about this visit (laughs) in her journal. Quote, Gaius Helen was here again all morning lecturing me at first and then actually threatening me. I hate that self-righteous bitch. And she says that Shaddam is wasting his seed on nobodies, while I squander all my time and attention on Binbeck. End quote. Oh, and again, Bin Binbeck is her lucicord, which she clearly has with her all these all these years later. (laughs) That's incredible.
1: I hate all caps. Hate hate in all caps. Yeah, that that journal entry
0: just dripping with indignation. And Moheim, look, for her part, is a Bene Gesserit. And we talked about the Bene Gesserit being thorough. You have your plan A, but you also have your plan B, and then you have your, oh shit, red button, plan C. Moheim's plan C here was to poison Anuril on this trip as a way to persuade, quote unquote, persuade her to do her duty to the sisterhood and give Shaddam legitimate children. And we're told that this was a residual poison that only killed upon withdrawal. So as long as she kept receiving this poison, she would live. But as soon as it was pulled away, Anne would die. Hmm. And this is kind of similar to what the Baron does to Gurney in the first book as well. Right.
1: Now, Anne in this situation, (laughs) poisoned and backed into a corner, could de- delay no longer. Yeah. And so she provided Shaddam some legitimate children right? who would maybe wipe out that chance of uh, illegitimate son coming up and going, I am actually a Karina, right? Mm-hmm. And they would actually have together five daughters. Irulan. Hey, Irulan. Yep. Chalice, Wensissia. Hello. Ugh, Josepha, and Rugi. Yeah. Now, Anna Rule's relationship with her daughters was fairly distant and cold, not exactly a loving, doting mother. She right. Was a little bit distant. And in particular, like many of us, she was disgusted by Wincissia.
0: Oh, this is so good. <laughs> in particular. Yeah.
1: Quote When Anna Rule found the four year old Wincissia using a prism. To burn holes in the fur of the family lap cat. What? Anna Rule renounced her completely. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. You say yeah, but also this is a four-year-old doing like child shit. Like she's she's not, this isn't like a 20-year-old torturing an animal. This is a child. The idea of a mother being like, what's that? My four-year-old is like burning the hair of the cat. I renounce you (laughs) forever. Right, forever is a pretty bold. That's fair. uh, Perhaps a
0: teachable moment and not a disowning (laughs) moment. That's a fair point. Yeah,
1: for a four-year-old, you know, I know that people grow up quick in the Dune universe, but it seems pretty aggressive. Yeah, but you're right. When Sissia fucked up, that you're burning the hair of the lap cat, right? uh, Of your family cat. That sucks. Also maybe foreshadowing into Wincisio's reliance on cats as like the primary uh-huh. get things done a re- I'm a bored. real cat
0: theme in our life where's
1: the lap cat i need to kill some <laughs> problematic twins give me the laza Tiger? some giant laza t- some giant lap cats that yeah. we conditioned to be killers there's a cat there's a cat theme we got we got cat energy from uh, Wincisio. <laughs> big
0: cat energy that's yeah, right
1: so it' fascinating so yeah on on a roll Disgusted by when hated her, actually renounced her very, very early on in her yeah. life. Yeah. Which I'm sure, you know, put some distance there. That yeah. Was already-
0: yeah. No, no mother of the year awards for Annual, unfortunately. No. Now, to wrap up her life, Annual's final years were basically spent focusing on the things she has always loved her whole life her music and her books and her gardening and basically just a lot of me time. She's really putting herself <laughs> first. <laughs> And we're told that she actually produced quite a bit of work. She produced hundreds of poems and dozens of folios of lucid music, and she really invested time in her passions and her hobbies in oh, yeah. potentially a way that she never could when she was younger and being transferred around schools, and right, then later right. in life when she was a concubine. You know, it's probably later in life, after she's had these daughters, that she finally has some free time to just fully invest in herself. or she fully doesn't give a shit enough at this point and is just ignoring every phone call from the sisterhood. And in fact, we're told that she was quite bitter about her duties to the sisterhood. This is an absolutely savage journal entry from her. Quote, I was not meant to be a womb only. My real children come not from my body, but from my mind. The poems show my soul. But the songs which float from Binbeck are my real delights. They carry my spirit while these daughters, these vessels of blood and bone, are my duty. Meaning no more to me (laughs) than did those daily lessons I used to hand in so reluctantly. End quote. Holy shit. Savage!
1: You're like, don't you love your daughter? She's like, no more than I loved my term paper. What are you talking about?
0: I mean, I, I did the I, assignment. I think of my daughter as my thesis in grad school, I, I guess. I made a human. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> love her? No. Yeah. Why would I love a term paper? Yeah. I mean, human.
0: Do you want to listen to my mixtape, though? Because I'm really anyway, excited about this. I've
1: been working on this new piece. Yeah. <laughs> I read some beautiful poems. She lights up. She's yeah. so excited.
0: Yeah. And, and we joke and, you know, we're saying things like Mother of the Year Award, but I really do think there's like a sort of a sad bitterness throughout Anero's life. Like She had a passion. She wanted to go in a certain direction with her life, and time and time and time again, not just by the sisterhood, but then her royal duties, and then her time as empress and concubine, life got in the way of that, right? Yeah. And through that lens, it's not hard to imagine that these daughters that you never really wanted to have in the first place are also just another thing that got in the way of your life, of you controlling your own life. Because now you are beholden to do this thing for someone else. Raise your daughter, have another child, do the blah, blah, blah. And you can't actually go and make music or garden, write your books or play Bin Beck, your favorite loose accord, you know? So yeah. a- a- as harsh as we may be sounding against annual, I'm actually quite sympathetic because this I, is a life yeah. lived. That's not her own clearly until the very end, until these last like decade or so of her life where she finally gets to invest in herself. And actually in the very end, she fully takes control of her life because even after five daughters and all of these years invested towards sisterhood plans, she's told that the sisterhood is still unsatisfied and wants her to have more daughters with Shaddam. And Anuril decides, fuck nope. no. That's <laughs> yeah, enough. Nope. And she basically figures out where this poison has been coming from, because again, she still has this poison within her body. Right. She right. figures out where it's coming from so that she can cut off the supply, stop taking it, and allow the poison to finally end her life. That is her yeah. final choice and sort of the autonomy she takes back from the sisterhood. And uh, this made my jaw hit the floor because she does figure out where the poison's coming from. And dear listener, you will never fucking
1: guess. Yeah, try right now. Try to guess. Say something out loud.
0: We'll, we'll give you like two seconds. Two seconds. All right, here's wrong. the answer. It's not that. It's, it's not, not, that. not that. You're, You're fucking right. yeah. wrong. Quote, <laughs> Reverend Mother Moheim had impregnated the wood and the strings of Anuril's beloved bin back Making the instrument of her joy also the instrument of her destruction. And quote, What the, quote. Fuck? What That's so the deviant? fuck? That's so devious!
1: That's so mean! Binbeck! the hell? Binbeck. Not Binbeck.
0: Oh my god. Binbeck, the, the betrayer. More like. That is so <laughs> evil. Ugh, and how sad rude. is it that even at the end of her life, when Earl is trying to take control, she has to give up Binbeck. That she is the only stop way. Stop
1: playing her instrument. The only way. It's also what an acknowledgement of the qualities of her life and passion that Moheim knew Moheim with, knew without uncertainty, knew that Anna Rule would never stop playing the harp, the 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 binbeck would never right, stop the playing. Binbek, the lucicord. The lucicord. Like Moheim knew that Annarul's Rule's nature was she plays this instrument so regularly, right? I do not have to worry about her unintentionally dying at any point. And then think about then the torture of her entire life being given these assignments that go against her playing music or being engaged with that part of herself, yeah. which is so dependable that Moheim <laughs> poisoned her they with poisoned it. in
0: it. Oh my yeah. goodness.
1: Unbelievable.
0: It speaks to just so many layers of just manipulation and just I, I, like genius on Mohammed's part, honestly, to like know this young student so well. Yeah. Uh, it's tragic. And, and my heart truly goes out to annual cause she, she lived a life that was not her own and much yeah. of her life was out of her control. And she found comfort in music and poetry. And that's all she had at the end of her life. That's true. Amazing, an amazing story.
1: Yeah, and again, probably the strongest HBO series we could uh, get from this episode. Yeah. And that's it. Those are our characters. That's it. So as we wrap up, Mm -hmm. we've got a question to end on. And Abu, I am dying to know. Okay. Of the characters we talked about today, who would you go out to brunch with
0: Ooh. of the
1: characters that we talked about. Bottomless mimosas, who are you putting at the other side of the table?
0: Yeah. Well, where's off the list instantly. <laughs> he probably True. would have been off the list for any question you would have asked. Yeah. I am 100% taking hurrah. Mm. Because brunch with hurrah honestly sounds lovely.
1: Yeah, agreed. Sounds good.
0: And it's not only because she... Totally deserves it, right? She deserves to be treated to bottomless this mimosas and something delicious. Stacks of pancakes. Stacks of French as many as ma- mm, mm, anything whipped she cream wants. on top. She deserves <laughs> all of that and more. But also because her motherly loving nature would make sure that we both had an absolutely wonderful time at this brunch. True. Sure. She would be out here telling the waiter that my order was wrong for me. <laughs> Because yeah. I sure as hell never say that. I, I'm yeah, never yeah, about, I'll just eat whatever accidentally showed up on my plate. Because the thought of telling a waiter something's wrong is horrific to me.
1: I have some hard lines that I draw, but yeah, similar. Yeah. I, I don't want to, I'm like, it's ah, close enough. I'll eat it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hurrah though, in her, in the most loving, right? She would not be yeah, like a like, Karen like, no, no, no. at yeah, this yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. She you would, in the most lovel- loving way, make sure that my order was correct. The waiter's
1: like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I right, oh my gosh, right it's thing. it's free. Madame Hurrah, it's free. Please.
0: You you that's can free. have the extra plate. <laughs> I also think the conversation would be just absolutely mm. a treat, right? Mm. I, I, I yeah. would ask her about her plants and how, how well that's going. Maybe get some gardening tips from her. Uh, I'd love to hear about what her kids are up to, right? Like, what mm. are her two sons yeah. up to from her marriage with Jeff? And um, how, how how's just life with her, I'd, li- I'd love to check in and I'd love to just know what she's up to because I think she would just share openly, she would share honestly, and she would equally be invested in knowing about me as well, right? She would be asking me questions as well and be yeah, invested yeah. in my life and wanting to, to like fully be engaged. And, Based on the
1: characters we see her interact with, she seems like the kind of person who very seldom do people ask her a lot about her life. Yes. And ask her about that stuff. And it's like, right. yeah, to get that opportunity to really give, like, no, 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 tell me about you. Like, what yeah, are you interested exactly. in? Exactly. Like, give, give,
0: gift? give, give, give. Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's hurrah. And I actually have a close friend who's exactly like this. And we mm. joke with her all the time. We're, it's always just like, don't you dare do dishes when you come visit us. You know, like, how dare you? Right. How fucking dare you? How fucking fuck dare you? you. Yeah. Fuck you, you know what? You, actually, right? fuck
1: you. Yeah. The, who give you the fucking gall to come over here and to do chores?
0: <laughs> right. And, and this person is honestly such a lovely person to be around. I've traveled with them and, and it's just such a treat. So, you know, I, I have a person in my life who is exactly like this, a giver, 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 giver. Yeah. Such a loving person to everyone around them. Their main priority is le- in life is to make sure everyone else is happy. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that can be taken to an un- unhealthy extreme. So I would want to be here for Hurrah, I'd want to treat her, I'd want to ask her about her life, and I'd want to make sure that uh, she had a lovely brunch, and in return, I know for certain that she'd make sure that I had one too. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, I would insist, probably over <laughs> Hurrah's very loud and aggressive objections, I right. would insist on paying.
1: You're like, Conley, Conley, and the <laughs> winner of the fight gets to pay.
0: Yeah, uh, I, would, I would love to treat her in that way. I think she deserves it. She deserves to receive even a fraction of the love that she's constantly giving out.
1: Very true. Well said.
0: What about you? Who are you getting unlimited pancakes with?
1: Well, Hurrah seems busy. I mean, she's she's she has some brunch dates already. So <laughs> I think honestly, Anna Roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really vibe with the descriptions of her platonic relationship with Shaddam. Like, I almost think maybe she's Asexual or aromantic. Like, she's just not really interested in that kind of stuff. Right. And she's just like music, 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 and poetry and art. Yeah. It's like, but then she's also open to weird fixations. She's like into his gym collection. I've got collections <laughs> now. I'll show you my Dune, cards <laughs> my if Dune you card. My Dune card. Do
0: you want to see my binder, Anna?
1: <laughs> read me some poems. I'll show you my like weird collections. It's going to be great. I've got lots of these little rubber hands. Yeah. I've got too many of these little rubber hands. I'll show you my rubber hand collection all right i feel like we would vibe on a few different levels right? yeah like music yeah, yeah, audio, yeah. all that and I can see that in addition to that you know we're having these maybe higher brow conversations about art and music theory and you know why she chose the name binbeck for her something chord what's it called Lu- lucicord lucicord yeah why that name has she ever been interested in other any other instruments you know in addition to all of those kind of higher brow conversations from the tone of her journals you know calling people <laughs> just like really rude names and being yeah, like yeah i'm disgusted by Ugh. my fucking child Ugh. you know like i feel like i could also be like all right we're done with like the, the artsy talk let's be really petty for a minute hell minute, yeah let's be really petty for a minute and just talk shit
0: mm-hmm. and she's
1: like yeah let's do it like i feel like she could sling some hell yeah pretty sassy chat my way which oh I for think sure would also be a lot of fun
0: i like i never gossip. believe it when people say i don't like drama i don't do drama you're a fucking liar everyone <laughs> loves drama
1: yeah yeah it's true you're like you won't believe who was fired recently oh my god tell me <laughs> exactly that pres- oh my god yeah they deserve it are you kidding me i would have disowned them at the age of four you're like yeah it's extreme but i, I appreciate that yeah the, <laughs> camaraderie of this moment yeah
0: no that's, so, that's you know that's great i agree we're
1: sipping tea we're serving tea or you know we're doing mm-hmm.
0: the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so i think anna rule would be my pick
0: such a good pick I-, I think that pick is spot on for you
1: agreed well and that's our episode
0: <laughs> that's the episode folks
1: before we let you go dear listener we have some reminders to throw your way like gossip with anna rule that's brunch, right or just words of affection for hurrah at brunch. hmm And the first most important message we have for you is hey, you want to show how much you appreciate what we do and yeah. what we do serves your life in any way. Consider becoming a patron. Patreon. Right. Patreon.com/slash Gomja Bar. It's the best way to support what we do here. It's the best way to make sure we're able to keep doing it. You get some benefits in return, things like ad-free episodes, weekly blooper clips, and invite to our exclusive. Discord server where we've got people chatting about the movie delays and the upcoming games and things like yeah, that. It's a lot lots of, fun. of memes. Lots of memes. Tons of memes. It's awesome. Consider becoming a patron uh, if you're in a financial place to do so. Patreon.com slash comjabar.
0: That's right. Rumor has it that another great way to support this show mm. is to get yourself something nice, to treat yourself, and much like annual late in life, put yourself first. Mm-hmm. From Gomjabarshop.com, our Dune themed merch store. We've got art, we've got apparel, mugs, a tote bag, no lucicords yet, but maybe someday, all of that and much more at Gomjabarshop.com as Leo sips the longest sip of water I've ever seen through our Gomjabar mug. <laughs> he really kept it up the pint through class, that hole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, not
0: the mug, the pint glass. No, no,
1: it's the pint glass. <laughs> I was trying to drink as slowly as possible as torture. That feels awful.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that looked awful. And, you know, I thought maybe I should speed up and end my long (laughs) speech. And then I thought,
1: no. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'm willing to commit to the bed. I'll suffer for art. (laughs) Well, finally, we love to hear from you. And in fact, who from the Dune universe would you take for lunch or brunch or breakfast? Whatever. Let us know. Send us an email. The email address, as it has always been and will always be, is gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. You ever heard of it? That's right. We want to hear your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, anything and everything you have to share with us. We'd love to hear from you. gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com.
0: That's the place, folks. That's the place.
1: Now, I have to go figure out how to apply for the Gamont art of the... Wait, no. School, School, School of Erotic it?
0: Arts on Gamont. School of Erotic
1: Arts on Gamont. Is that right? School of Erotic Arts? Command F Erotic. So. <laughs> it shows up 37 times in this script. How? <laughs> it's all in white text at the bottom, hidden.
0: <laughs> like, like some fucking serial killer. I'm just typing erotic over, over, over.
1: <laughs> Every line break?
0: <laughs> what is happening?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, what if I was hiding, like, in white text, hidden messages in every script that are oh like... God.
1: I be right back. I need to go command F everything on every document.
0: Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on LordParty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We are also at TikTok at Gomjabar podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.